Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, listen, in almost all four Gospels, okay, if you'll look at Matthew and you'll look at Mark and you look at John, right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, I forgot Luke, okay, no one forget Luke, jet lag. If you look at all four Gospels, the only thing we read really is that Pilate had Jesus scourged, and it says, and they led him away. I mean, it was just kind of like they beat him, and, and, and there's not a whole lot given. It's like, well, that's all they said. They, they scourged him, right? And Matthew says that, and Mark, and then they led him away. And, and, and so what we need to do this morning is we got to come in here, we got to kind of backtrack just a little bit, and we sort of want to fill in the missing pieces. You know, So in order to do that, here's my thought. We need to go back to the Old Testament, and we need to get some stuff. And here's what I want you to jot down. If you're taking note, remember, the Old Testament always points to the cross. Everything in the Old Testament, you can find Jesus in the Old Testament, and it's going to point to the cross, okay? That's, that's the Old Testament. The New Testament, if you'll read it, it's always going to point back to the cross. The cross is going to be the central theme of our lives, and that's what the Bible does. Okay, and so and so we go back to the Old Testament, we're going to discover, listen, and you know this, church, I know, we were going to discover that God was communicating to those in the Old Testament and those in the New Testament. What was he doing? He was going to give them a preview of what was to come. Okay, from the moment, Genesis chapter 3, from the moment the fall, God has been communicating to mankind his plan of redemption. We just got to look for it. And here's what it says. It says, guys, that, that the Bible is so deep that an elephant can drown in it, yet it's so shallow that a child can play in it. And so we've got to dig a little bit, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to dig a little bit in the Old Testament, okay? Now, here's what, here's what God has been doing. He's been giving a preview of what was to come. Now, the one thing we must really understand, you go, what's that, Pastor? Is that the guys, the same guys who should have known... These were the same guys who should have known were yelling two weeks ago, crucify him, crucify him. Like they should have known the Messiah. They should have known. And what God did is is in, in his wonderful infinite wisdom, he began showing his plan of redemption all the way back in the book of Genesis. If you're with us on Wednesday nights, you guys know that he has been showing us even in the first 11 chapters that God would one day redeem mankind by sending a savior. Now, redeeming mankind by sending a savior. Those are churchy words, okay? What God is doing is he said, listen, you guys messed up. Their sin, sin separates us. Sin separates me from you, and I want to reconcile. So I'm going to put sin, I'm going to send my son to die in your place. That's the gospel. And he's been showing that, showing that throughout the Old Testament. But, but the religious guys, the chief priests... Right? They didn't, they didn't get it. The religious men, guys, are sitting there, and here's what I'm thinking. They're condemning Jesus, but they should have known all the prophecies concerning him. Okay, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, when Jesus walked the earth, the religious people of the day should have said, whoa, it's fulfilling all of the old, we've studied the Old Testament. Can you believe this? And they should have been embracing him. They should have been worshiping him. They should have known. They should have been educated. Well, this is, gee, hold on. He's the Messiah. He's the Meshach. He's going to save us from our sins. That's what they should have been doing. 
You see, they would have known Father Abraham. They would have known the story of him and Isaac. And they would have known the story of Mount Moriah. And they should have pieced together, but somehow they didn't. They should have been expecting the Messiah Church. But instead, notice some of their statements. Some of their statements declares to us that they didn't even have a clue who he was. You go, how so? Well, look at chapter 19, verse 6. It says, therefore, when the chief priest... Now, these are the guys that should be drawing us closer to God. When the chief priest, an officer, saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. That's what they're saying. You go, what does that mean? Well, you know, crucifixion meant death. So they're saying, kill him, kill him. That's what they wanted to do. The same guys that should have been embracing him as the Savior. The same guy should have said, yes, Jesus, my Lord. Kill him, kill him. That's what the Bible says. Move along a little bit further. Look at verse 12. It says, and, and then on, Pilate sought to release him. We know that. And the Jews cried out saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Why, why are you bringing Rome into this? Why are you, this is not a situation where you bring Rome into it. Here it is. Here's what's going on. You should. What are you saying? Well, let's bring Rome into it. And then look a little bit further in verse 15. This is another statement. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to him, shall I crucify your king? Notice what the chief priest, these are the religious guys. We have no king but Caesar. Well, that's blasphemy right there. That's blasphemy. Now, here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want to draw out. Okay, guys, listen. Guys, they missed Jesus. They missed him. They completely missed him. They should have embraced him. They should have fell down. They should be worshiping, but they missed him. They missed him. And you go, why would they miss them? Listen, what they should have known is they should have studied the Old Testament scriptures. They should have seen the prophecies. And when Jesus came in, they should have been, that's the Messiah. But they missed him. Now, you've got to ask the question, why did they miss him? Why did they miss Jesus? Well, listen, jot this down. Religion will always cause us to, meet, to miss Jesus. Religion will always cause us to miss Jesus. Now, here's what happens. Let's be honest, okay? Oftentimes, you and I get wrapped up in all the do's and don'ts of religion. And let me even take it a step further. All the do's and don'ts of Christianity, we get wrapped up in what I should do and shouldn't do, and what I better do and what I better not do, that we miss the Lord Jesus. And the problem is, guys, is that Lord wants to have an intimate, personal relationship with you. And we've taken this Christianity to a whole new level where we don't hear the voice of God. We don't hear Jesus. Where I'm doing something. I'm, I'm serving him, man. I'm jumping to take care. And what did Jesus say to you? I don't know what he says, but I know. I and, and, and we've missed it. Why? Because we've gotten so wrapped up in our do's and our don'ts that we forgot that, that, that Jesus is alive and that he's real and there's a personal relationship and that he wants to speak to you each and every day. Not just, oh, you know what? You know what, man? I went to Israel and I got this revelation. No, God can give you a revelation in your bedroom if you'll stop and you'll listen and you'll, and you'll hear him. And that's what he's saying. We've just missed it. We've just missed They missed it. They just missed it. And, and here's the point. They should have known and they missed it. And here's the question we've got to ask ourselves, church. Do we have a deep, a deep and personal intimate relationship with Jesus? Do we have that? That's the question. Do you have that? You go, well, Ben, okay, I see what you're asking, but 
How did they miss it? How did the old, how did, because I know a lot of people, they miss Jesus. I'm sitting there and I'll tell them about God and I'll tell them about the love of Jesus. I'll tell them how God can redeem them from their sins and how if they're going to die in their sins, they're going to be separated from God forever and it breaks my heart. How did they miss it? Well, let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's take a look at just a story that they should have caught and said, oh, okay, okay, okay. Now, up until this point, they may have missed Jesus. They may have said, well, you know what? He's, uh, he's, spreading, he's spreading lies. He's spread, but, but they should have caught it with this story as we are in John chapter 19. So with that, guys, say goodbye to John 19 for just a second. Genesis 22, I want to pick up the story. There's a lot of truths we can pick up on this, okay? This is the story of Abraham and Isaac, and we're going to see how we can apply it to our lives, okay? And then the greater picture is how the... the chief priest in the Sanhedrin and all those in the New Testament should have said, oh my goodness, I get it. God has been warning us from the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, 22, excuse me, picking it up in verse 1, it says, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Well, the first thing we need to note, guys, in verse 1 is what things? It says, after these things. Well, you can jot this down and don't be afraid to write in your Bible. You can say, what things? Well, God has been testing Abraham all along, okay? All the tests that Abraham had went through, the problem is, is right now, this is the final exam. Abraham, this is it. This is the final exam. Now, after these things. Now, let me preview this by saying... There are things in your life that God is going to test you on to see if you're faithful. And as you grow in your faithfulness, there might be one final exam. This is the final exam for Abraham. And so it says, after these things that God tested Abraham, and he calls to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. What is he going to say? Here's the final exam. You ready? He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the one of the mountains in which I shall tell you. And you go, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Listen, the phone rang. It was God. God said, Ben. I said, yes, sir, I'm here. And then he gives me this final exam. I want you to feel the weight of what he just said. Why? Notice in verse 2, verse 2, he says, take your son, your only son, Isaac. Whoa, how can I be named Abraham, the father of many nations, if I'm going to kill my son? He says, take your son, your only son. Now, my Bible students in here are going, well, wait a minute. I want you to know only son, but see, Abraham had another son, did he not? He had a son through Hagar, who was, his name was Ishmael, but that was not the son of promise. That was the son of compromise. That was the son of, hey, I'm going to run ahead of God. But he says, take your son, who? Isaac. Isaac. That's the only son. That's the son of promise. And then he says something very interesting, and I want you to see this. Guys, you with me in verse 2? He says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. You guys looking at your Bibles? Love, that's the first time love is ever mentioned. Right here. That's the first time. And the law first mentioned is now you got to do a little bit of work. Why? Because now you got to go back and say, what's the context of which he used it? Because that's going to be the context of which he uses out throughout of Scripture, through the rest of Scripture. Take your son whom you love. Okay? Well, what's the context? He just said that he was, that you're supposed to go sacrifice your son. It's sacrificial. Love is sacrificial. You see that? 
So in context, guys, love, the first time it's used, is sacrificial. Why is that important? Listen to me closely. Oftentimes when we think of love, we think of a feeling. Oh, I had a feeling. Ooh, right? Sometimes it's a feeling. A lot of other times it's when your spouse or somebody you really love, like maybe your parents, they do something really nice for you, right? And you say, wow, I love you. But that's not the biblical love. Why? Because here's the thing, guys. That's not a sacrificial love. As a matter of fact, if your wife, you know, you know, you've had a long day and you're coming home and you walk in and you see your favorite meal spread out on the table and you go, wow, you cooked this for me. She goes, yes. And you go, thank you, sweetie. I love you. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a sacrificial love to where he says, now, here's the context. Love is not a feeling, it's a choice, but it's sacrificially. What are you going to do? How are you going to sacrifice? Well, Ben, should you say, are you saying that we shouldn't do that for each other? No, here's what I'm saying. Number one, make sure that you guys keep try out serve each other. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to serve you. That's how it should be. But when it comes to real love, it's often a sacrifice. Can I get an amen? A sacrifice of time. It's not a sacrifice of what I what am I what do I want to do? I'm going to go play. I want to go do no no. It's a sacrifice, baby. I love you. I'm going to sacrifice my time, my energy, my money. I'm going to sacrifice things that are precious to me to show you that I love you. That's the context. Why? Because because Abraham loved Isaac. Now, I just want you to feel the weight of this, okay? Feel the weight of this. What is the one thing that you love the most in your life. Now, I know God gives, us, God gives us a different love for our wife, and he gives us different love for our children, and then now we have grandchildren, and I get that sort of thing. But if, I, I remember sitting at a Bible study one time, and I was thinking of my youngest daughter. I was thinking of Miranda, and if God came and said, you know, Lord, um, I want you to sacrifice Miranda, I was going, God, I can't. I mean, it's, it's just the weight of it. Or, or I want you to sacrifice Talia or whatever it might be. But I, I get that. But, but there are things in our lives that, are so, that we so love. What if it's the very thing that God says, I want you to sacrifice today? How would you feel? And so God says, okay, Abraham, yes, sir, here's your final test. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Okay, look at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and and took two of the young men with him and Isaac, his son. Now, here's what I want you to see. Ben, yes, sir, here's what I want you to do. I want you to... Take your son, your only son, yes, sir, and sacrifice him, okay? Truth? I love that Abraham is growing in his faith, and you go, why? Because sometimes if that would have been me, I don't know if I would have rose up early the next day and went. You all know what lollygagging is? We have a lollygag. Yeah, what are you doing? It's about noon. What are you doing? Yeah, God wanted me to do some things today. I mean, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. It's all right. Don't get to it. Four o'clock. Aren't you supposed to be? Yeah, well, guess what? It's getting late. I can't walk now. How about tomorrow? No, 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 no. Look at Abraham. Abraham, it said, he rose early in the morning and what? He saddled his donkey. Here's what I want you to write next to that verse. Abraham is growing in maturity. He's growing in maturity. All the previous tests has helped him grow so much to the point that when God speaks right now, Abraham says, okay, I'm in. I'm in. I'm going to rise up early because God told me to do this. 
Let's compare our walk with Abraham's. I want that walk. When God speaks to me, yes, sir, I'm in. I don't know what you have for me, but listen, I don't like the context of it, but I'm doing it early in the morning. What does he do? He grabbed a couple of fellas, and he says, Isaac, let's go. He split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God told him. Then, it says in verse 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Now, again, when we read it just like that, we go, amen, let's move on. But there's some things we got to pull out of that. It's so important and so critical for us to see. And you go, what's that? First and foremost, it took him three days. It took him three days walking, okay? So it, was, he, it wasn't just like, and he took him to the mountains of Moriah. Right now, when you think of the mountains of Moriah, the mountains of Moriah range are there in Israel. It's actually where the temple used to be. Okay, now we have the Dome of the Rock, but the temple used to be there. All of this is the mountain range of Moriah. Okay, David actually conquered it. Later on, he conquered the Debusite city, but right now it's the land of Moriah. Right now it's just mountains. It's just mountains. It's a beautiful mountain range. And if you go to Israel today, you can see it's beautiful. It says, take him three days. And you go, why is three days so significant? Well, because Paul told us it's key. Because Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 15, 4, he says that Jesus was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. So we go, oh, okay. So it's very, very key. You go, well, what else can we learn from this? Well, the one thing we can learn, it says that it took three days. And the second thing we can learn is that Abraham was Texan by birth. You go, what do you mean? Notice what he says. The lad and I will go yonder. I think that's a Texas phrase. Wouldn't you agree? Because you're not sure. How do you measure yonder, right? How do you measure? Is yonder a yard anyway? You guys aren't laughing, but that's okay. But you know what I'm saying? He's okay. That was just a joke. But what's not a joke is the next word. You go, what do you mean? He says, the lad and I will go yonder and worship and worship. Do you feel the weight of this? Do you feel what's going on here? Take your son. Your only son. And kill him on the altar for me. And he says, okay, we're here. See those mountains? You guys wait here. We're going to go over yonder and we're going to worship. We're going to worship. Now, listen. Worship, if this is me, if this is the final exam, worship is not on the radar. What's on the radar? The negotiations. How do I get out of this? Right? Uh, Lord, hold on. Listen. I know we walked three. What do you think Abraham was doing for the last three days? Praying, Lord Jesus, please, this is my son. Lord Jesus, my son. God, uh, I don't want to say, I mean, whatever you think, Lord, are you sure I heard you right? Are you sure I heard you? Did I hear? Was your voice? Is that you? And for the last three days, and so he says, he says, we're going to worship. Now, here's what I want to say in your life. Guys, your life should reflect the beginning, middle, and end. It should be worship. It should be worship. Abraham is about to go into one of he's about to go into one of the biggest exams, one of the biggest tests that he ever will go through. And where does he says, We're gonna go and worship? And here's what I love. Look at your Bibles, guys. It says, And we, everybody see that? We'll come back to you. Isn't that a beautiful thing? God just told Abraham, You need to sacrifice your son, and he tells the guys, Don't worry about it. We're gonna go worship, and we are gonna come back. We're going to come back. Now, the two young lads are going, of course you guys are going to come back. 
because you're supposed to sacrifice something else. You're not supposed to sacrifice your son. What is wrong with you? They didn't know that, but only Abraham knew. This is what we're going to do. We're going to sacrifice your son. But he had so much faith in God, he said that we are going to come back. I don't know how. I don't know how, but we're coming back. And most commentators believe that God was going to resurrect Isaac if he was actually required for Abraham to kill him. That God was going to super, super miraculously resurrect Isaac. But nonetheless, he came back. Now, again, let's compare our faith. What is our faith? What is your faith like compared to Abraham? Man, I want that faith. I want that faith to go, listen, I know God so well that if he says he wants me to do this, he has a plan and a purpose, and I'm not going to question that because I know he's good. I want that faith. I want that faith as I raise my kids. I want that faith as I raise my grandbaby. But let's be honest, guys. Let's be honest in church. We all struggle with that. We struggle. Something goes wrong and something does, is not going our way. And we, oh, God, why do you do this to me? Instead of going, no. And now I'm going to show you the reason why in just a moment. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. And Abraham says, we're going to go yonder and we're going to worship. And we're going to come back to you. And then verse 6 is very important in our study. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, notice, and he laid it on Isaac, his son. What did he do? He took the wood and he gave Isaac, and Isaac was going to carry the very same wood that was going to be needed for the burnt offering. What was the burnt offering? Guys, there was, a, there was going to be a platform, a altar, if you will. He was going to take wood and bound Isaac up, lay him, kill him, and then set it on fire. How is he going to come back from that? Only God can do that. Only God can do that. But he's taking the wood. So there goes little, I don't know how Isaac was, you know, anywhere from 8 to 32. I mean, we don't know. But there he goes carrying the wood. What if, what if Isaac was 33 years old? That would make just complete sense moving forward. But nonetheless, he took the wood, right? And he took the fire. Everybody look at verse 6. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. Your attention, please. I got to be honest with you. I think I might have forgotten the knife. Let's go back three days. Ben, yes, sir. Take your son. My son, my only son. Yes, and sacrifice him. Okay, Lord, I'll do it. And then I'm just going to accidentally, oops, I forgot the knife. Right? Because you can't kill him if he doesn't, if you don't have a knife. Lord, I'll go back three days and I'll get the knife. I'm sorry. I just, where was my mind? Jet lag, right? Forget it. I mean, three days walking here in this hot desert, it fried my, no, 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 no. He had the knife. He had the knife. And I'm just thinking, wow, wow. But here's what I want you to see in verse six. This is exactly what they would do with Jesus, guys, as he walks down the Via Dolorosa on his way to the cross. They would strap the wood to him as he walked up for the sacrifice. The guys aren't getting it. They're not getting it. But look what Isaac says. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, my father. Now, again, I got to tell you, that would have destroyed me at this point, okay? That would have destroyed me. You're walking up. It's just you two. And he goes, my father. And you've been like, oh, don't call me dad or mister or something. But that would just, I mean, that just, I could feel the weight of this. And, and Abraham's like, here I am, my son. 
And he said, look, I see the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Well, guys, we can, grow, we can learn so much from this. You go, what? Number one, guys, the chief priest, the Sanhedrin, the religious dudes of the day should have caught this. They should have said, wait a minute, wait a minute. God's going to provide himself a lamb to redeem mankind. See, we can't be redeemed through religion. You going to be with me? We can't be redeemed through religion. And the, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, they were trying to earn their way to heaven by their good works. And you cannot do that. It takes a sacrifice. It takes the sacrificial lamb. And, and I'm thinking about this. And he says, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for the offering. Number two, jot this down, guys. Abraham is growing and learning. You go, why? What's the one thing we can learn from, from Abraham on this? You ready? This is so key. You've got to jot this down. This will help you. Why is Abraham growing? Here's why. Because Abraham had to learn the difference, listen to me, from trusting the promise to trusting the promiser. Did you catch that? Abraham, he had to learn the difference from trusting the promise to trusting the promiser. You go, Ben, what do you, what do you mean exactly? What do you mean? Guys, here's the thing. I got to spend two weeks in Israel with my pastor. And one of the things that I loved seeing about him is how much he loved Jesus, I mean, how much he really loved Jesus, like if Jesus was in the room kind of love. And I was thinking about that, right? I mean, I believe all the promises of the Bible. I believe them. But am I trusting in the promiser? Do I know him? And here's what I wrote down in my notes, guys. Oh, how we need to be in love with God. And the only way we can do this, guys, is to spend precious time with him. Spend precious time with him. You see, we'll sit here, and if I said, hey, how many of you love God? Every hand in this room would be raised up. I love God, I love God, I love God. But see, love in context is sacrificial. So what are you sacrificing to spend time with him so you get to know him, so that he gets to know you, so that you have a walk, so that you're in love with him, and you want everybody you know to be in love with him the same way? It's a sacrifice. Sure it is. Why? Because we all have things to do. Tomorrow's Monday morning. There we go. Boom, boom, boom. Got to go. Got to run. Bam, bam. But what are we sacrificing? Are we sacrificing precious sleep? I need my sleep, Ben. I need my sleep. Well, it's a sacrifice. If you say you love God and that's the only time you can spend with him, then you are willing to sacrifice that. Why? Because when the final exam comes, I want to be ready. I want to be ready. I want to be ready. What do you want me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do? That we're so in love with him, guys, that we spend and, and then and we grow in faith. If you want the faith of Abraham, you know what the word of God says, right? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. Guys, we need to be in the word of God. And let me just say this, and you know this, there are so many things vying for position in our lives that want to take the place of that, of that precious time, television, movies, all these things. And it just rips us off of, of the time we need to be spending with God. And I got to ask myself in these times in my life, Lord, how come I'm not close to you? And he goes, Ben, Matt, take a look at your life. You know why you're not close. 
because you're allowing all these other things in your life and I'm not anywhere in there. Oh, Lord, you're right. You're right. Oh, I want to I want to learn the difference, Lord, between trusting the promise and trusting the promiser. He says in verse 9, Then they came to the place which God told them, and Abraham built an altar there, and he laid the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son. Everybody look at that. And he laid on him the altar upon the wood, and Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took his knife to slay his son. And one thing I want you to see is that it doesn't tell us here at all that Abraham, that Isaac fought one bit at all. Right? It doesn't tell us. It says that he, he, I mean, it just says, okay. He just asked, where's the sacrifice? Don't worry, son. God will provide a sacrificial lamb. And, and now he's being bound. He's being bound. Think about this. Why does he do it willingly? Why did he do it willingly? Because he wants to show us that's exactly what Jesus would do. And so Abraham takes the knife He's getting ready to slay his son. But an angel of the Lord, and notice that it's capital, right? You guys see that? An angel of the Lord? Okay, that could be a Christophany, a Theophany, a pre-incarnate Christ. And he says, and the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. You see that? Now think about this, okay? Here's what I want you to see. I want you to let this dwell. God often takes the will for the deed. Listen to me. God often takes the will for the deed when he finds his people are truly willing to make the sacrifice that he asked for. And oftentimes he doesn't require it. You go, what, do you, what, what did you just say? Guys, what God is often asking us to do is he wants to reveal our hearts whether we'll do what he asks us to do or not. And it might be something crazy. And when you stand and say, God, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to do that. With all of my heart, I'm willing to do that. God says, God says, that's enough. I just wanted to see your heart. And what he does is he takes the will instead of the deed. And that's what he did with Abraham, right? Abraham getting ready. Hey, don't touch him. And then it says, and Abraham lifted his eyes, looked, behind there was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went, took the ram, offered up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. As it is said today, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now, listen, this is going to be in the same vicinity in the, mount, in the, in the mountains of Moriah where Jesus is going to be first and foremost publicly six trials three of them bogus the other three again roman bogus and then just a stone's throw away from the temple mount where abraham was about to offer isaac you'll see you can see calvary and when i say stone's throw it's really not that far The same place. And you go, Ben, why do you mention that? Because the religious guys, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they should have caught this. They knew the Mount Moriah. They had their temple there. This is where it should be. And they missed Jesus. And they missed him. And that's our introduction to John. Look at John, guys. Go back to John. Okay? 
And here's where we left off two weeks ago. Jesus was what? Remember, he was, he was scourged almost to death by the Romans in hopes that this would appease the angry mob. I mean, think about what he did. He was there, right? He was bound and he was tied up. Okay, they took a cat of nine tails and they whipped him so bad that it, it, it just tore flesh and muscle and skin and nerves and it left him just a raggedy, bloody mess. That's what it did. And he was hoping that this would appease the people and yet the religious people of the day and Pilate pronounces him not guilty and, and yet in a last-ditch effort to stay in good standing with Caesar and the Jewish people... He beats and scourges Jesus. Now, again, you guys remember scourging, right? It's called the Veberatio by the Romans. And it was not only, it was, think about this, guys. They perfected it. Now, here's what I want you to see. The Jews administered whippings in the synagogues for certain offenses, but it was nothing comparison to what this was, what this was about. Why? Because the Romans perfected this. The purpose was not only to cause great pain, but to humiliate as well. To scourge a man was to beat him worse and to humiliate him in the process. Now, I want you to see this. My Jesus is sitting there, and he's just bloody mess. He's a bloody mess. And his purpose was not just to cause great pain, but to humiliate them. Now, we were there. We were there, guys, in the praetorium. We were there. On the stones were, were his blood ran through the cracks. We were there. These were the original place. What's next? Well, that's where we pick up our story. Look at verse 14 of John chapter 19. It says, Now it was preparation day of the Passover, and it was about the sixth hour. And he went to, and he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. You guys remember that? He's hoping as he stands there, behold, your king was, 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 a, was a statement of mockery. Like, look, this is your king. He's not going to do anything. Behold, your king. Look at him. And there he is, a bloody mess. Okay. The purple robe was probably stained with red blood. He was probably swollen. He, he had a crown of thorns pushed down in his head. They had pulled out his beard. They had punched him. He was bruised. And he was broken, and he's standing there, and he says, Behold your king. Behold your king. And notice what they say. And they cried out, Away with him and crucify him. And Pilate said, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered and said, We have no king but Caesar. Then, verse 16 says, He delivered him to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. Now, that's what I want you to see. Okay? So we have a beaten Savior, okay, for our sakes. And you go, well, why did they beat him? What was the purpose of the scourging? Why did he do that? Well, in a practicality sense, they wanted to just try to appease the crowd. But in a very personal and spiritual sense, it was for us. Because Isaiah says, remember what Isaiah says. Isaiah prophesied 700 years before, says this in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. He says, surely he has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. That's the, that's the physical healing, so we can pray for that. Now, let me just give you a nugget. When you pray for people, pray Scripture. Say, Lord, here, this is what your word says. And then he says, but he was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes, we are healed. We are healed. 
Now, before we finish up verse 17, because all we have is one verse, I want to take you over to Luke 23 real quick, because I want to give you another account just before we jump in, okay? In Luke 23, picking it up verse 24, it says, So Pilate gave sentence that, that it should be as they requested. What was that? To crucify him. And they released to him the one they requested. Who was that? Barabbas. Okay, who, who was Barabbas? We know that he was rebellion and he was a murderer, for he had been thrown into prison. But they delivered Jesus to their will. Can you imagine? The people asked for a murderer instead of Jesus, a rebellious person. You go, yeah, yeah, see, I'm Barabbas. I often think of a book that, that should be written. It probably is, but I'm thinking... I'd like to do a fictional story of Barabbas looking back, being released, and looking back and seeing Jesus taking his place. And then he actually getting saved and and bringing the gospel. We don't see that in the Bible. How cool would that be? Why? Because that's what you are. You're a Barabbas. You're saved. And you're bringing the gospel to anybody who will listen. Anybody who will listen. And now, verse... 26, and they led him away, and they laid hold of a certain man, Simon the Cyrene, who was coming from the country, and they laid on him the cross that he might bear the cross, and he might bear it after Jesus. Simon comes walking by. Jesus is beaten. They've already sentenced him. He's going to be dying on the cross. Simon, come here. You need to help him. Now, why would they employ? Okay, now we've got to do some work, Okay. As the journey continues, here's what we learn. Look at verse 17, John 19 and 17. And he, Jesus, bearing his cross, went out to the place, went out to the place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. Golgotha, okay? Some other places call it Calvary. Calvary. Now, you go, well, Ben, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're telling me every picture I've seen, I've seen Jesus carrying a cross, right? A T-shaped cross. And there he was. And, but here's what we need to understand. And here's why I tied in Genesis 22. Because there's no way that in Genesis 22, Isaac, Isaac carried the wood that was, he was going to be sacrificed. Okay? And here's what we need to do some work just so you get a picture. Okay? Here's Jesus now carrying his cross. Where were he carrying it? Okay. Now go with me. Okay? Picture it in your mind. He would have come out of the Antonia Fortress. He would have had his blood spilled on the bottom. He would have come out. They couldn't come in because they would be defiled. He would have stood on the Bema seat. He would have said, behold, your king. No, crucify him, crucify him. And from that point, he would have been led through what we call the Via Dolorosa. He would have been led because what we had to do is once we came out of the praetorium, we had to go up some stairs and then out, and we came straight on out to a walkway called the Via Dolorosa. And we walked down there, and I shot a video on my phone, and I was just showing, I was just looking at the stones, and this would have been the stones. But see, Simon comes, and he says, okay, Simon, you've got to help him. Why would he help him? Here's why. Here's what we need to understand. Well, let's go back just a little bit, okay? Let's go back. Because the Via de la Rosa, if you're taking note, in Latin means the way of grief or the way of sorrow. It's also called the way of suffering or simply, simply the painful way. So the Via de la Rosa, again, is the path believed that Jesus walked on his way to the crucifixion. Now, what we need to keep in mind, guys, is that there's no way Jesus, in his weakened condition, could have carried a 300-pound T-shaped cross. There's no way. 
Okay, even in the best strength, there's, it would be hard for a man to carry a 300-pound cross. You go, okay, so what would they do? Well, what they would do, guys, is it seems reasonable that Jesus just carried the cross beam and he would have to have help. The cross beam alone weighed 100 pounds. Okay, so when you look at Genesis 22 and you see Isaac carrying the wood, you knew that that was going to be a direct correlation here with Jesus carrying the crossbeam on a way to be sacrificed. Here's the difference. God, the angel of the Lord, stopped Abraham. What did, what did our father do? He turned his head. As all of our sins were put upon him, I have to sacrifice my son. God sacrificed his son, his only son, so that our sins would be upon him. And you're going, wow. So there's Jesus carrying this 100-pound cross down. And, and I took a picture of the streets, and I, I was just showing just the stones. And, and I, yeah, well, it's 2,000 years removed, but there it is. And you go, well, Ben, why don't you show us? Because if you look at it today, there's merchants all along the side of the road. And then you'll come and on your way out to the Damascus gate, okay, now they would go out the Damascus gate because you couldn't crucify somebody inside the city walls. But all along the, the Via Della Rosa are, there's shops and there's a restaurant and there's people selling goods and wares and it doesn't look anything like it would back in the day. But I know this, it was the way of suffering. The cross. You go, when what happened? Here's what we learned in Israel this week. We learned that the Romans crucified about 30 people a week. And they did it very publicly in the, very, in the, in, in the place that, that everybody could see. My thoughts, and I don't know how they did it, it shows us in the movie, The Passion of the Christ, that the cross would be laid down. And that that it was it's like one piece, and then and then Jesus would be nailed, and then and then up. But if he's carrying the crossbeam, I wonder if it's just I'm not sure how they do it. But here's what I do know: I do know this. Every place in Israel that is holy, okay, every place in it is is desecrated by those who don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You go. What do you mean? Over in Israel right now, if you look at on the Mount of Olives and you look to the eastern gate, the eastern gate is closed. But the Bible says that one day those are going to be open and the Messiah is going to walk through the eastern gate. But you know what? You know what some folks did? Some folks did who don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, but they actually believe that Jesus was a good man, but he wasn't the Christ. They actually put graveyards in front of the eastern gate. And you go, why would they do that? Because they know that a Jewish man would be defiled to walk through a graveyard before going into the eastern gate. So they're trying to defile everything that's holy. At the place of the skull, it's also the same way. Oh, there's the skull. You can see the mountain. But there's nothing holy around it. There's no shrine to kiss. There's no mountain. It's just... And that's where Jesus would have went. And that's where he's going to go next week. Guys, Jesus would have come out. Simon would have helped him. 
Uh, now, I want you to picture this in your mind, okay? Picture this in your mind. Probably about this point, Jesus was so badly beaten and broken that he was unrecognizable. The Bible says that you can even see that he was a man, that he was just... And here comes Simon. Simon, help him. Talk about being at the wrong place at the wrong time. And so Simon helps him. And Simon helps him. I want to close our study, guys, with that. I want you to just leave you with that, that thought and this great reminder. You've got to ask yourself one question in today's study. And you go, what's that? Why? Why would my Jesus be willing to walk the way of sorrows, the way of suffering in Jerusalem? Why would he do that? And you've got to remember that he did it for us. And here's what I want you to jot down in your final note, guys, as we, as we close our Bible study. I want you to remember that love is a choice. Love is a choice because if it was a feeling, if it was a feeling and somebody handed you a hundred pound cross that you knew you were going to die on, you'd say, listen, I don't love them that much. But you understand. You understand that he looked and he said, I love you. All the way to the cross. Yeah, Ben, but I've got a question. He was God, right? But he was man. He was fully God and fully man. And that's why he said, listen, that's perfect love. And what I want to leave you with today, guys, is that you see. And when you think of love, you don't think of it as a feeling, but you think it as a choice. And, the God, and, and, when, and when somebody says God loves you, you go, wow, I'm looking at perfect love because he's sitting there and he's, he's willing to do this for me. He's willing to die for me. And he loves me so much that he was willing to reconcile me back by dying on the cross and the resurrection. And all I have to do is ask him into my heart. All I have to do is live for him. All I have to do is ask him to be my Lord and my God, my Savior, and I'll be saved. And I'll be saved. What a great exchange that God is willing to do. Well, next week, guys, we're going to see we're going to see him on the cross. We're going to see the crucifixion because right now he's just on the road. And the religious guys, they still don't get it. My prayer is that you get it and you see him and you don't miss him. Father, thank you for your word today and the truth in your word. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, 
please click on the donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.